0: Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for coming. We'll continue to discuss Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandharva. We're going over the intrinsic qualities of what constitute the inherent nature of the Jiva. And this evening we will go to the 13th of the 21 items that Jiva Goswami uses as a definition for what are the inherent qualities. Um He's derived this specific, he's taken these specific 21 uh, characteristics from the writing of Muni because there's some distinctive items that the jiva is endowed with that uh, warrant uh, inclusion in the list. And therefore he's used this particular list as his praman or his evidence. This evening we'll discuss the referent of the pronoun I. The jiva is the referment, referent of I. Uh, this particular discussion is in three parts. There's three adhochetas that deal with this specific subject, the i of our existence, what that means, this is one and of the what it, yes. In other words, the jiva, when we, when, we, when we say I, in its ultimate essence, this I-ness is what's intrinsic to the jiva. The jiva is, has an identity. It has an I-ness, both truthful I-ness, what we actually are, and a false I-ness. So, we'll see what Jiva has to say here. The individual Jiva, who is conscious and of the nature of bliss, is not the referent of the pronoun you, which is but a reflection of the prototype of the self as I. Rather, it is indeed the referent of the pronoun I since it is intrinsically of the nature of the self. The jiva's state of being that existent to which the pronoun I refers is indeed the experiential condition of being I. I don't want to give anything away, so I'm going to continue to read, and then then we'll discuss it because I'm sure that that initial statement could be a little could raise a little eyebrow thus consciousness gyan which alone is the primary meaning of the pronoun i is the pure atma otherwise absorption in matter would not be possible because of this absorption the jiva acquires an alternative sense of I, identified with the aggregate of the material elements, the body. It is with this intention that Sri Kapiladev speaks about the self's being the referent of I. Now Sri jiva Goswami in this particular Anucheta quotes from the third canto, a statement by Kapiladev in his discussion regarding the nature of being and the self uh, with his mother Devahuti by thus identifying with that which is other than itself namely the body-mind complex, the self attributes to itself the doership of actions that are in fact carried out by the gunas of primordial nature. A similar verse is found in the Bhagavad Gita. That's the verse we studied last night in Bhagavad Gita. Okay. Parabidyanaya means by identifying with the material nature, prakriti. By believing, I am nothing other than prakriti. By so doing, one considers oneself to be the agent of actions, conducted by the gunas of Prakriti. In this regard, because it would be impossible for an entity utterly devoid of the sense of I to become identified with another, para, and because the ahankara, or empirical ego, born of identification with the other, Prakriti is a covering, there is certainly another distinct sense of I inherent within the self. Moreover, because that sense of I is grounded exclusively in the jiva's pure identity, it is clearly not the cause of its material bondage. It is precisely these two kinds of ahankar that are indicated in the following verse. Now he quotes from the 11th canto. The Atma is unchanging... In the state of deep sleep, when the senses and ego are deactivated and there is freedom from the subtle body, which is the cause of transformation, yet upon awakening the remembrance comes to us that we slept peacefully without awareness of anything, and this indicates that in deep sleep the self is present as pure witness, devoid of the content of sensual, mental, or egoic awareness. We'll read to the end of the Anacheta. There's one more paragraph, and then we'll unpack it, go through exactly what Jiva said. Firstly, the artificial sense of I, related to the body, is inactive in deep sleep. This is still the Anacheta. This is Jiva giving us an explanation of the verse he just quoted himself. And secondly, on awakening, one deliberates on the basis of the true sense of I, that I slept happily, because such remembrance comes to us. For these reasons, in the notion conveyed by the statement, I did not know myself, which is being indicated in the absence of awareness of the phenomenal I related to the body, this further implies awareness of the other true I in relation to the Atma because the latter is, by contrast, the witness of the non-awareness of the phenomena Y. Basically, what Jiva is trying to bring us to understand here is, first of all, we have consciousness, and the nature of our consciousness is uh, a blissful nature, as we went over in the last discussion, that truly the, the nature of our being is such that we're we become blissful when we know the self of ourself thus when balaram observed the calves and the cows you could see some their true nature came out because they were attracted to the self of their very self which was krishna and it was an extraordinary thing because Krishna had become the calves, so in becoming the calves, there was a distinction in that normally the calves would not be so attracted to the calves, but here, in order to bring out the fact that when we really look to the nature of ourself and our blissfulness, our nature, we basically love ourselves. Now, there's another part of the commentary from the last class that I didn't really, uh, we just kind of glossed over quickly, if at all. And that is, in the commentary, what's discussed is the nature of, of enjoyment. Really, we, we engage in activities for our pleasure, ultimately. Now, you know, I mean, that's the nature of life and if you look deeply at anybody they could say they're selfless but if you look more deeply any self so-called selflessness in relation to the material energy to the world of men is truly there's some there's a, a big sense of self there you you know i'm selfless to this degree to a certain degree but really if nobody recognized my selflessness, how much would I want to display it? So, you could look to certain acts. That isn't to say there aren't selfless acts within human society, but for the most part, our nature in relationship to this world is one of selfishness, not selflessness. And our selfishness is that we want to enjoy we want to enjoy. So there's an interesting uh, point brought up in relationship to the material energy and our involvement in it, in relationship to what's considered the highest enjoyment, which is sex life. What's brought out there is in s- what we're attracted to in sex life, if you really look at it, is the orgasm of sex life and what happens at that moment of orgasm is that we truly enter into a state of selflessness we forget ourselves we are given a taste of ananda is what is explained why well this is the material world and <laughs> there has to be something to attract to to have us engage in the act of procreation Otherwise, if we were just observant of the general course of creating progeny and what's involved, we probably wouldn't engage in it as much unless there was this sex in sexual enjoyment along with it. To be truly observant of the circumstance of raising a child from a practical point of view It's a hard job. It's an expensive job. It takes a whole lot of energy. More than even a family, of a husband and wife can handle. It takes a village to raise a child. We even say this. Also in scripture, in the Kama Sutra, which is part of the Veda, it's explained that the woman enjoys, what is it, nine, eight or nine times more than the man the sex life and they can have multiple orgasms as opposed to a man who generally has one and goes to sleep. Why is that? Well they carry a heavier burden <laughs> nine mu- for nine months so they get nine <laughs> times the pleasure. I, d- I can't imagine, except what I've seen in movies, what childbirth must be like. I doubt if I'd survive but I'm a weak man. <laughs> I'm a weakling compared to a woman who can go through that and, and endure it and and come out on the other side, you know, smiling with a baby uh, <laughs> disgusting blood covered thing in its arms and just say, oh, I'm so happy now. <laughs> yeah, I'm so happy. The misery is over. <laughs> so that was also brought up in relationship to our Ananda, is we do, we do seek, ananda we do seek a, a we do want to be happy and we do want to experience ananda and there is a natural ananda that is part of our nature and we generally forget it and unless we have some some inclination to seek it in the proper way as they say most of us seek love in all the wrong places there's certain of us that have some refined intelligence that begin to see, well, maybe the pleasure is more within than without. And we call these, you know, yogis. They'd rather see what's inside. And they become so peaceful and blissful in that pursuit and especially in its accomplishment that they become like a Sukadev Goswami, a man who can walk naked in the world and not be affected by anything around him. He's perfectly happy in himself. He Whether he eats or sleeps or, you know, has everything that the man of today would want to have or a woman would want to have, a family, you know, uh, a nice house. Well, he, it's irri- he's somebody like that who's such a deep-thinking yogi, it doesn't matter much to him. It really doesn't, not that he finds more pleasure in the self and what was coming out in the last discussion, but if we look deeply, even a Dev Goswami who found so much pleasure in the self, when he heard about the self of his self, Krishna, a few verses from the Bhagavatam, he was immediately like, wow, there's more than, there's more than the me of me that I can, that I can experience. So let me explore that. And that's what we call Krishna consciousness or God consciousness. There is me, but there's also the greater me. So what is talking about in the beginning of this I verse, the I of our I, is what he's talking about. last verse was the pleasure of our self, the pleasure of our pleasure, of our pleasure, so to speak. The material world, myself, and my is the supreme. So here we're talking about the concept of I. So generally our concept of I is in relationship with things that are external to us. So Jiva's is beginning here, and he's saying that. The individual jiva, who is conscious of the nature of bliss, is not the referent of the pronoun you. He's referring, of course, to the Mahavakya of the Vedanta Sutra, tat Asi. you are that. Actually, um, tat Asi. You are that. Well, he's saying the you doesn't fit. The you doesn't work here. That's why Lord Chaitanya wasn't very attracted to it either. Because what did he say? You are his. his. That's a better referent. You are that. So let's go to the commentary and see how that's unpacked. In this section, meaning in Anucheta, Shijiva establishes that the pure self has I, consciousness, as its very nature. In other words, you cannot separate the sense of I from our existence. Why is this important? Well, we'll read on, we'll see... Well, there's some spiritualists that don't see things that way at all. There is I consciousness in relationship to the physical body, because of which we make statements such as I am weak, I'm strong, I'm thaw- old, I'm young. In these sentences, I refers to the physical body. We also make other statements I am happy, I am sad, in relationship to our sense of self um, as far as the psychological sense of our being. So we have the physical and we have the psychological. You can be in a terrible you know, situation physically or you could be singing in the rain. So some people become wet and others sing in the rain. <laughs> so part of it's psychological according to our state of mental being and some of it's physical and sometimes they don't correlate, sometimes you can be in a very bad physical situation and you're like you've got a smile on your face you could be like under anesthesia, the hospital is smiling <laughs> as they're cutting you open <laughs> it's, it's a juxtaposition of what's going on there I in these statements refers to the mind and psychological self. Beyond these aspects of the phenomenal I, there is the real I inherent within the self. So Jiva is trying to to let us understand there is a false I and there is a real I. The Advaitas bodies do not accept the existence of I consciousness in the self. This is important. The Advaitins do not accept the sense of I-consciousness. According to them the I is manifest only when Brahman is limited by a Gyan or ignorance and is called the Jiva. When a Gyan is removed by the cultivation of Gyan then the Jiva is Brahman which has no I-consciousness. So Jiva's saying here at the beginning of the Anacheta, which seemed a little confusing, you are that, Does the you doesn't refer to the Jiva. You are that. It can't, because you have your own I-ness. You are not something else, you are yourself. Now the Advaitins they say, Tat asi you are that, means you are Brahman. Jiva says it's a misnomer to look at the statement like that. It's not the proper understanding. But that's what they believe, right? The, those Advaita Vads, they believe that if you're in relation. If you see yourself in relationship to the material manifestation, that seeing is created by ignorance. Now liberation means knowledge. So remove the illusion of Iness in relationship with the material manifestation. I'm a man. I'm a woman. I'm a dog. I'm a you know whatever our, my sense of I is. I'm happy, I'm sad. Whatever that sense of I is, that's not the real sense of I. That's false, according to the Advaitins. So, if you remove the ignorance that you are this body, that you are this body-mind complex, that you are associated with the external material energy, if you can remove that, then you will... Remove that false sense of self and realize you are Brahman. That really doesn't stand up to the critical thinking of somebody that studies deeply what's being said in the Veda. It, 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 there's a lot in the Vedas to support those transcendentalists. It's there. But there's also a deeper meaning. Now, Jiva has created this whole Sandarbha for devotees, people that have the fine discrimination to see, you know, the value of the Bhagavatam. He's he's not interested in converting the minds of of the mental speculators, of the dry philosophers. He's presented the Sandarbhas, the essence of the essence of the Vedas, the essence being the Srimad Bhagavatam, and the Sandarbhas means bringing out the essence, bringing out what's truly there, which which is of significance to help you and nurture your spiritual growth. Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayojan, a deep understanding of of What is our relationship with this material energy? What is our relationship with our true self? Giving us a true sense of what we really are. And what's our relationship with the Supreme? Abidea. And what can we do to cultivate a life, a sense of our self that that brings about the revelation of what we really are. Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayojan. Attainment. We're meant to attain something by spiritual practice. The fact that we use knowledge to get there is, is, is good for us. It's a tool. But in the ultimate issue... It is just that. We're not learning the sandar. we're not utilizing the Sundarbas to more deeply appreciate the Bhagavatam for the, for the glory of saying, I have knowledge of the Sundarbas. No, we're we're studying the Sundarbas so I can have knowledge that's going to lead to the goal of having a complete and full realization of of myself in relationship to the Supreme, which is bhakti. So that's what the sandharvas are about. It's not an exercise in knowledge, it's an exercise in devotion. We try to understand this complex philosophy about paramatma, about Bhagavan, about the nature of knowing, you know, uh, epistemology, ontology, uh, you know all these big words it sounds complex but this all helps us to, to arrive at a goal a goal is a goal that's going to really f- fulfill us in such a way that we will come to a practice that is has a very firm foundation as far as our intent we're not going to be swayed by by anything, including any misconceptions about what the Bhagavatam is all about. The Bhagavatam is about these things, Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayojan. It's about bringing us to a deep understanding of our relationship with the Supreme and cultivating the deepest relationship. All of the books of the Goswamis come out of this concept of deep love for the Supreme Lord. This is just knowledge to help enhance that, whether it be Sanatan Goswami's Brihat Bhagavatamrita, that gives us a an I you know, a, a, a deep perspective of what's there in the Bhagavatam, or Rupa Goswami's Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu and the whole myriad of books that he gave us for Jiva Goswami's Sundarbha's and his all their commentaries on the Bhagavatam. They all wrote a specific commentary on the Bhagavatam and then they wrote all these other books to unpack it more so that we can more deeply enter into it. But the center of all this is an appreciation for the fact that in truth Krishna has manifested himself in the Srimad Bhagavatam. He went, anyway, jumping ahead to the class I'm going to give in a couple weeks, or next week, but that whole concept is there. That Krishna left, but what did he leave? He left, but he's still here. He appeared, but he also appeared again. So, we'll leave that for later. So that's the the point that's being made here is tut tuamasi. Don't don't be don't uh, adopt this misconception that you are that. You are you and that is that. (laughs) You are yourself. You have your own I-ness. You may be thinking of yourself in the wrong way, that false sense of i may be there to, to a greater or lesser extent. We as devotees, we come together as a group and we want we wanna to try to work on that. Other groups are trying to promote the other i that we're trying to get away from. So they have their own societies of I-I people. We're the I people that want to give away, give a, get away from a sense of I ness that ends in acceptance of this world because we've been given a little fine discrimination by the sadhus through their association that if you look deeply at the I an I-ness related to this world, it all ends. And you're eternal. So you're never happy with that. Even though you have the greatest wealth, the greatest wife, the greatest family, the greatest business, whatever greatness you may attain in the world, it's ripped away from you in a very short time. Depending on your age, the sense of time differs. But believe me, a hundred years is nothing. You know, I'm I'm getting old here. I won't make it to a hundred, but even as old as I am, I got a lot of stuff I want to do. I'm never going to accomplish all these things. If I was to take this, if I was to adopt the I ness of the material world, I'd never accomplish anything that I wanted. As soon as I, you know, as soon as you get there, it's like, wow, now I can't enjoy all my accomplishments. They're, they're, uh, they're about to be ripped away from me, no matter what they were. No matter what I became in life, it it just does not endure castles. in in the sky. <laughs> so back to the Advaitins' concept of this Iness, which is will help our understanding. They propose that Brahman is pure, uniform yeah. consciousness and bliss. And when it reflects in ignorance, here we are, the jiva. Take Brahman, put it in the jiva, and out comes an individuated consciousness related to the material world. This jiva is signified by the pronoun you in the famous ap- aphorism, you are that, tat, In this statement, that refers to Brahman, and you, twam, to the jiva. On the basis of this assertion, they attempt to deny that there is an authentic sense of I that is intrinsic to the jiva because, according to them, the pure jiva is identical to Brahman, which is devoid of I-consciousness. They consider the individuated conscious self as the suggested meaning of the pronoun you, Sri Jiva Goswami refutes this by arguing that the jiva is intrinsically endowed with the sense of I. You can't take it away from, from what we are. You can't remove us from our own Iness. It's always going to be there. You just, you can't. Even the, those liberated in Brahman, those jivan muktas, well, if they're if they're still in, within the material energy, although they've separated themselves from the enjoyment of matter, if they're still in material, there's always the possibility that they'll fall back down and try to enjoy matter again. And even if they attain liberation in Brahman, well, they can't attain it at all without some bhakti. So they have to have a sense of truly what is the what is the supreme. They have, have to have a proper sense, although their objective is to enter into that personality in such a way that the distinction between the supreme and themselves is factually obliterated. Although you can't truly obliterate it, but their their attainment is that. They do merge into the energy of the Supreme, the effulgence of the Supreme. Even Krishna's enemies attain that with no difficulty at all. These Brahmavadis, they, they work for lifetimes to cultivate this consciousness. If they just went to battle with Krishna, it would be over very quickly. <laughs> Of course, you'd have 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 to have the good fortune of taking birth when Krishna was having a lila, in whatever conscious domain you were at. So Jiva refutes this by arguing that the Jiva is intrinsically endowed with the sense of I. Moreover, being conditioned by Ignorance, it cannot be identical to Brahman. Thus, it cannot be the referent of the pronoun you, which is interpreted in Advaita as referring to the individual Jiva in the famous Mahavakya Asi. So then, Jiva, what does he say is the true sense of Iness? He says, the closest that we can get to that true sense of i distinct from the false sense of i in relationship with the external energy. The closest we can get and experience is when we're in deep sleep. When we're in deep sleep, we're not associated with the material body. We don't know if we're a man or a woman. So we have deep sleep, one state of consciousness. We have wake wakefulness. Of course, we're awake. We can be awake. We can be asleep. We can still have dreams. On the, you know, with the with the mind, we can still associate with so many things. But there is a state of deep sleep. A state of deep sleep within sleep. What are they? There's another terminology they use. Uh, I forget. Alpha. Alpha. Or- Something like that. Yes. Anyway, it's deep sleep. If you don't have a little bit of that for a prolonged period of time, you have a hard time functioning in the world. You need a little bliss because there's a blissfulness in that deep sleep. You're actually able to turn everything off. Everything's turned off. So you're kind of, that's the closest you come to your true self. So we find this, this disgust repeatedly from different viewpoints, this sense of the states of awareness, wakefulness, sleep, and deep sleep. And Jiva refers to those references in the Bhagavatam, uh, speaking of, in order to bring us to that understanding of the distinction between our false sense of I and our true sense of I. So a lot of this discussion here is based upon that. And it says, he says here, just to like it conclude, uh, on awakening, the phenomenal I, phenomenal B, in relationship to the phenomena, which is material existence, uh, is superimposed on the real one. So again, we take up, oh, here I am back, I'm back from my deep sleep, and... I'm either a man or a woman. I have to get to work. I gotta, you know, dress the kids. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta. Well, if I want to enjoy, I gotta work. I gotta pay the bills. Uh, it's off to work I go. So that's that's what we wake up to. But there's a period where we it's completely turned off, and and that that is to give us a, an idea of what is the true sense of I that's available to us, the peacefulness that's available to us, the ananda that's available to us, if we can simply, even in our wakefulness, understand our true I. We can go about our life with a sense that, well, if everything was to fall apart, which it's going to do today or tomorrow tomorrow, Anyway, I am going to die. Of course, Yudhisthira Maharaj said the greatest greatest thing in material life is everyone's seeing that everyone is dying around them. Everyone. But we think it's not going to happen to me. We actually have a sense that I'm good. I see everybody: my dad, my grandfather, my, you know, my uncles, my aunts, the man down the street. They all died, but hey, that's somebody else. And when somebody dies, it's like, oh, you know, even if, if we're close to them, a week later we're going on with our life as if everything's fine. I mean, we readjust pretty quick. We pass that trauma by, or in this society and most societies. You know, we, we scoop up whatever's left, throw it in a truck and, you know, turn on the siren and get away from it as quickly as possible. We're not really tuned in to wanting to, to dive into the deep philosophical understanding that everything here is going to be taken away from me. So imagine if you could live life and, and be carefree enough not to really care about being alive or dead. It's an inter- interesting thing I'll just relate to you to show you how sadhus can be so detached. Uh, my spiritual master, Bhakti Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada, um, he was in <laughs> India and somehow or other a cobra got into the building where he was staying. And the devotees had seen it. So, you know, of course, the the cry goes out, be careful, there's a cobra in the building. And uh, Prabhupada had one devotee, I think it was Pradyumna, if I remember this story correctly, who traveled with him and did translation, did the Sanskrit part of the preparing his books. And uh, and he was like, well, we, we have to stay somewhere else. We can't stay in this building until the co- cobra's removed. <laughs> and Prabhupada was, like, very nonchalant. Well, if if the cobra's going to bite you, it's, that's you, that's going to happen irrespective of where you are. So if, you know... So Prabhupada said, I'm staying right here in my room. And... Course, his servant said, Well, I'm staying somewhere else, and he left the room, he left the building. So, you know. um, so, that doesn't mean that the devotee's consciousness is one of recklessness, but it goes to show that the sadhu's consciousness is one of you can't really interfere with destiny. And and they're so detached that if that's my destiny, it's fine. Sometimes they embrace a, de- a destiny that they don't have to. Like Maharaj Parikshit, Maharaj Parikshit had—he was the king of the world. So he had at his disposal all the mystics and Brahmins of the world. Do you think that a little young Brahmin? could have said something to him that he couldn't counteract with his, the Brahmins that were at his disposal, mature, older men who'd been practicing mysticism and mantras for their whole life. They couldn't have conjured up something to protect Maharaj Barikshit. It's a, It's a foregone conclusion that they could have. But rather then take that avenue. He said, it's fine. I've definitely committed offense. I'll take my punishment. And if this is the punishment that, that's appropriate, then fine. Let me, let me use this little bit of time I have left to the best uh, possible usage I can. And thus we have a hearing of the Bhagavatam and that's what brings us to these kind of meetings a hearing of the Bhagavatam let me make the very best use of this bad bargain which is the material predicament that I'm in that that's going to be ripped away from me either today or tomorrow Maharaj Parikh should had the benefit of knowing in seven days it's over we may not have that benefit but guaranteed today or tomorrow or the day after one of those days it's going to be over. So we take advantage and we hear Bhagavatam to the best of our ability and we have realistic expectations of of, of what this hearing will do for us. But we know that prolonged hearing of this Bhagavatam and prolonged involvement in good association will have an effect, an impression upon us which, upon which we can build lifetime after lifetime. So we may or may not complete the course of devotional service in this lifetime, but that's not going to dissuade us from the fact that in the ultimate issue, body or no body, I'm something else. So that's the essence of the i that Jeeva is trying to expose us to in this Anucheta. I'll stop there. Are there any questions? Thank you so much for your association.